before we get started this morning, <clears throat> I just want to, on behalf of all the pastors, uh, thank you as a church family, as a congregation, for what gift you gave us uh, this past Holy Week. Um, it was so encouraging uh, to our own souls and our own spiritual lives, and uh, such a great blessing. Um, both the gathering together of God's people and how it encouraged our hearts as pastors, but also uh, your singing, your worship that was full of joy, that was full of strength. In fact, <clears throat> Damon and I, between every break uh, during the Easter Sunday morning service, found ourselves talking about what we were experiencing personally, uh, just as brothers in Christ and as brothers in Christ to you, uh, not even as pastors, but just as, as fellow partners in the gospel. And we're very grateful uh, as pastors for that gift that you all give us. I invite you to turn this morning to John chapter 20, and you can find, if you need a Bible, you can take the Bible that's in front of you, and you can find John chapter 20 on page 907. The past two weeks, Easter Sunday and Palm Sunday, <clears throat> George took a break from the Minor Prophets and taught out of the Gospel of Mark. And you remember that last week on Easter Sunday, in teaching out of the Gospel of Mark, he taught on the very last verses of Mark. And remember, it was Mark's intention for purposes of, of teaching people. And what George pointed out, that there was, there was more to the story, that Mark's Gospel seemed to end uh, kind of abruptly. And yet those who would have read it would have said, hey, there's, there's more to the story here. What, what else is there here? Let's, let's recount the other things. So I thought before we go back to the Minor Prophets that we would take the next couple of weeks and uh, we would look at more of the story, more of the story of the resurrection. And we know from the Gospels and the writings of Paul that Jesus appeared to Mary and some other women, that he, that he appeared to Peter, that he appeared to John. We know that Jesus appeared to the disciples. And we know from 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul puts it, that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people even at one time. So the appearances of Christ are recorded throughout the Gospels. And the Gospel in John in particular gives us uh, some more detail about these appearances that Christ made. And so this morning I want to look at John chapter 20, and we'll read verses 24 through 29. This amazing encounter that the risen Christ has with his disciple Thomas. Would you follow along with me as I read? Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we sit under your word this morning, we would ask 
that you would fill this place, fill our hearts, fill our minds with your Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us. Teach us what it is that you desire that we would know from your word. We wait upon you, praying all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Even though it has been over 10 years ago for me, I still remember, in fact, I can, I can feel it even as I talk to you about it, my great moment of, of unbelief. It was, uh, it was not the first moment that I struggled with unbelief or with doubt, and, and sadly, it wasn't the last. But this moment in particular, 10 years ago, was crippling for me. I was at a conference, it was in the summertime, I was at a Christian conference, I was uh, serving there, and I remember getting the phone call on a Sunday night, and as, as the person spoke to me on the other end of the line and, and shared with me um, the news, my heart just began to sink. I felt like someone had, had taken the air out of my lungs. I, I truly, literally began to, to shake as I was holding the phone. When I hung up the phone, I didn't, I didn't want to be in that place. I remember, I remember leaving um, the chapel where we were having the conference and going out and finding a place by myself where nobody else was. And I sat down. My dear friend, Andrew Kiesling, had followed me out and he sat down next to me and put his arm around me. I was, I was mumbling stuff. I, I don't know that I made any sense. I actually don't remember what I said, but I remember how I felt. And as I was sitting there mumbling and overwrought with this great sense of, of disappointment, of, of, of unbelief, Andrew spoke words of God's truth to me. But even as he did this, I didn't, I wasn't listening. I couldn't, I couldn't hear. I certainly couldn't believe in that moment what he was saying. Because what was going through my mind at the time over and over and over again was, does God really care? How is this God caring? This can't be God caring. Does God really love? This doesn't feel like God loving. Not at all. Is this what it means to follow Jesus? Because it feels like a waste to follow Jesus because, because this is rattling me to my core. I'm thankful that John in his gospel doesn't clarify the why behind Thomas's unbelief. Because in the verses that we have before us, there is, in a sense, a, a whole range of unbelief that can be covered so that this morning, all of us, every single one of us in this room can learn from God's word. There's something here for us all. We don't know the why of Thomas's unbelief, but we do know the what. John does give us the what, and more importantly, the who. See, in these verses, I believe that John and John being inspired by the Holy Spirit, so therefore the Holy Spirit, God himself, wants us to see two things, and probably more importantly, wants us to see two people. I think the first thing that God wants us to see this morning is this picture of unbelief. And this picture of unbelief embodied in this disciple, Thomas. Now the Gospels don't tell us, the other Gospels, the other three Gospels don't tell us a lot about Thomas. In fact, the other three Gospels just list him as one of the disciples. 
But in John's gospel, we actually get a, a glimpse in a couple of other places about who this guy is and, and what's he's, what he's about. In John chapter 11 is the first incident, incident, in, incident in John's gospel where we get this picture of Thomas. John chapter 11 uh, is there. Um, Lazarus is sick and his, his two sisters have sent word to Jesus saying, hey, please come quickly. Lazarus is sick. And Jesus decides to wait a couple days. And then after a couple of days, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go. Let's go to Bethany. And the disciples say, well, wait a second, Jesus. We just left there. We just left there because your life was being threatened. Remember, we just left the Jerusalem area because they were going to put you to death. They were going to stone you. And now you want to go back? That's not a good idea, Jesus. If we go back, that's why we're out here. And Jesus says, no, no, we need, to, we need to go back because actually Lazarus has died now. So we need to go back. And it's Thomas, recorded in John's gospel, it's Thomas who says to the disciples, let us also go with him that we may die with him. And so you see in that statement, you see in that picture of Thomas there in that moment with the disciples, you certainly see his loyalty. You certainly see that Thomas was a loyal disciple. He was going to go and say, hey, come on, guys, let's, this is who we're following. Let's go and let's die. You also see also Thomas's honesty. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't mix words there. He doesn't say, hey, let's go and see how it, how it turns out. He says, let's go and we're probably going to die. Let's go die with him. And maybe you also see a little bit of Thomas's pessimism. I wonder... I wonder if he was kind of an Eeyore-type character. (laughs) Let's go. We're probably going to (laughs) die. He's loyal. He's honest. Maybe he's a pessimist. And then we see him again in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is the upper room discourse. This is when Jesus is speaking to his disciples there at the Last Supper. And Jesus begins to to teach them. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that you may be where I am also. And you know the way where I'm going. Pause. And it's only Thomas who has the guts to say, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we possibly know the way? Again, you see right away the, the honesty of Thomas. He's just going to speak it. Man, praise the Lord. I've got some Thomases, you know, in my Bible studies, in my small groups. I love those guys, right? The teacher teaches something, and you're like, I'm not sure what was said at all. I have no clue. But I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to look like an idiot because clearly everybody else here gets it. The truth is nobody gets it. But thank goodness for the Thomases who go, hey, I don't know what you just said. (laughs) Thomas here is is honest. He says, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, so how could we know the way? But don't you see also the loyalty of Thomas in that? Thomas wanted to know. Thomas wanted to know where Jesus was going. So he wanted to know the way. He he wanted to stay loyal to him. So then you you go back to our passage in John chapter 20, and you have to ask yourself the question, is 
Is, Jesus, is Thomas here in this passage, is Thomas a hard-hearted critic? Is he a, an intellectual atheist? Is he someone who's kind of looked at all the empirical evidence and thought through it and decided, nope, that doesn't make any sense, not going to happen, not going to believe in it? Is that him? Is he a hard-hearted critic? Or is he a devastated disciple? Is he someone who sought to follow Jesus, be loyal to Jesus, on the path with Jesus, going on the way with Jesus, and everything got thrown off, everything's been disrupted, and everything he thought would be his, everything he thought would be theirs, everything he thought would be that life has turned out to be disappointing, not just disappointing, but devastated. Is there just someone who is deeply disappointed and just can't believe what's really happened? Now, it may be that there are some of you in here this morning who would say, you know, Todd, I, I am a hard-hearted critic. You know, I'm here this morning, and, and, but, I, but I've, you know, that's the way I am. I'm an intellectual atheist. I've, I'm thinking through these things. I'm trying to look for evidence. And, you know, that's, that's me. And let me just say, if that's you here this morning or if you're listening online and, and, and that's you, first of all, we're grateful that you're here. We're grateful that you're listening. Welcome. And please be welcomed here. Always. And I would even suggest to you that while I'm preaching, why don't you just go and, and go to the very front of John chapter 20 and begin reading in verse 1 and read John chapter 20, verse 1, all the way to the very end, verse 31. Do that while I'm preaching. And see if the Lord doesn't have something to say to you this morning, a way to speak to you regarding your unbelief. So what is it? Is, is Thomas here a hard-hearted critic or is he a disappointed disciple? And the Bible doesn't make it clear. <laughs> the Bible doesn't make it clear, certainly not in these verses. But the more I've studied this and the more I've read, the more and more I become convinced that I believe Tommy, Thomas is a deeply disappointed disciple. I think he wanted to follow Jesus. Now certainly, all the disciples, <laughs> all the disciples haven't come to a saving faith, a salvation, salvific faith, until after the resurrection. So they all need that. But I don't believe that the starting point for Thomas is one of intellectual atheism. I'm just looking at the evidence. It's not there. No, I think from the other things we have here in Scripture and the way Thomas was positioned, I, I truly think he was a deeply disappointed disciple. I think he's been devastated that following Jesus has turned out nothing like he thought it would be. And he's distraught, he's confused, and he's hurt. And that's led to unbelief. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Distraught, confused, unsure, struggling with unbelief. What happens when we struggle with unbelief? What happens when we land in that place? I think... The same things that happen to Thomas here in these verses. Look at verses 24 
and 20 uh, through 27. Notice, first of all, that Thomas avoids fellowship. He avoids fellowship. Look at 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And that's referring to the verses uh, that precede that. And the verses preceding that, John shares the description of how that night, Resurrection Sunday, the very day Jesus rose from the dead, that that evening all the disciples had gathered together. All the disciples except Judas, who had already committed suicide, and except Thomas. Everybody else was there. Thomas was not there. Why wasn't Thomas there? The only disciple not to be there. Again, I I wonder if it was because Thomas thought, what's the point? What's the point? It's nothing like, none, none of this has turned out how I thought. I'm confused. I'm hurt. What's the point of going to gather in fellowship with them? Have you been there before? I have. I remember four years ago, this coming summer, I was at a place in my life where I was really struggling with a lot of unbelief, a lot of disappointment, a lot of anger, a lot of confusion. It felt like all of my prayers, all my prayers seemed to be like the answer seemed to be either no or wait. And I was angry. We're on vacation. We're down at the beach. It's just me and Lynn. And man, I was restless. I was much, not much of a vacation for Lynn because I was just grumpy, upset, distraught. It's been our habit, uh, the Erickson family, that even on vacation, if we're there on a Sunday, we go to worship, we go to church. I didn't want to. I did not want to. But I thought it's going to look a little weird and maybe a little dramatic if I just say to Lynn, after all these years, I'm, I'm not going to church this Sunday. So we picked out a church nearby and we went. The church was, uh, was nothing like Second Presbyterian Church. It was it was very, very contemporary. Now, they preached Christ, and Christ was central to it, but it was really different, really contemporary. I mean, it was like dark out there and light up here, and it was like lasers and smoke worship, you know? <laughs> and I'm there, but I'm just there, I'm just showing up. I didn't know any of the songs. We didn't know any of the songs. First song starts. And the first line undid me. The first line of the song was, I don't want to fear the storm just because I hear it roar. The chorus was, peace, be still, say the words, and I will. I, I just started weeping. <laughs> Thank goodness it was dark out there. Like <laughs> The visitor shows up. He's not singing, now he's sobbing. You know, I, I was thankful for the anonymity out there. I just couldn't sing. I'm just weeping. Lord, I want that so badly. But you know what happened in that moment? I couldn't, I couldn't sing. I couldn't get words out. But do you know what happened? God's people around me were singing over me, were singing uh, in me, through me. I was being ministered to by God's people. I didn't even know any of them. But as they sang and ministered to me, bringing joy and and worship to the Lord, God was working in me 
Thomas avoided fellowship. So he wasn't there. He wasn't there when the thing that happened that he needed most took place. Thomas not only avoided fellowship, but Thomas forgot the truth. Look what it says in verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But, and then he goes on to what Thomas says. I mean, they're, they're telling him about the risen Christ. Thomas was there at the Last Supper. He heard all the things Jesus said. He heard the very words of God. He was with Jesus all those years. He heard the very teachings of Jesus Christ. But he's forgetting the truth. But, or maybe I should say better, he was replacing the truth with other voices. His own voice, his own thoughts. Don't we do that too? In our unbelief, in our despair, in our hopelessness, in our confusion, our anger, we we often avoid the word. And instead of listening to God's word, instead we run to other voices, maybe inside ourselves, maybe past memories, maybe other people who are not giving us God's word. We replace God's truth with at best just other voices, at worst, lies. Thomas is forgetting the truth. Thomas, not only avoiding fellowship and forgetting the truth, but we see there in in verse 25 that he's prescribing demands for God. Unless I. Now, certainly he's being honest. Give Give Thomas some credit for being honest. And God calls us in his word to honest prayers. But Thomas isn't speaking these words to God. He's not actually seeking to speak to Christ. He's just speaking. And so what is he doing? He's avoiding prayer. He's avoiding God. He's avoiding Christ. Instead of talking to him, he's over here talking about him. I think that's what we do also in our great unbelief, our disappointments with God, our disappointments with this life. We can find ourselves with a lot of honesty about what demands we expect. God, unless you do this, unless you give me this job, unless, unless, unless you answer this prayer, unless you do this, I just don't know if I can believe you care. I just don't know if I can believe that you love me. I just don't know if I can believe that walking with Jesus is worth it. Only we're just saying it. We're not speaking to God. Isn't it interesting that Thomas avoids worship? Thomas avoids the words of Christ, God's words, and he avoids truly speaking to God. He avoids prayer. Worship, the word, and prayer. And those are the very three things that God has given us to receive his grace. Those are the means of grace. Worship, word, and prayer. The very things Thomas needs in his unbelief, and he avoids those things. Well, what's the cure for Thomas's unbelief? More importantly, John and the Holy Spirit not only want us to see the cure, they want us to see Who is the cure? Friends, this morning, if there's only one thing you remember, if you forget everything else, just remember this. 
Just remember how amazing the grace is of Christ in coming to Thomas. Like if you, if you forget everything else, do not miss how amazing it is that Christ comes full of mercy and grace. He doesn't come full of, of critique. He doesn't come full of, of ridicule, of, of this sense of, you know, Thomas, get your act together. Thomas, I can't believe you did this. No, Christ comes full of mercy and grace. And how does he do this? What happens here? We see it in the verses that are before us. Four things that Jesus does in the midst of Thomas's unbelief. First of all, Jesus pursues. Jesus pursues. It says in verse 26 that Jesus came and stood among them. Isn't it interesting? For an entire week, even though they're saying, the disciples are saying, Jesus is risen, and Thomas is upset and says, unless I see, unless I see. Isn't it interesting? Thomas never went looking for Jesus. But Jesus came looking for Thomas. Jesus came looking for Thomas. And in doing so, this pursuit, it's not just a general pursuit, but it's a personal pursuit. Because look, he gets there, says, peace be still. And then it says, and then he said to Thomas. Jesus was there to find Thomas. A little while ago, I was speaking with a, a, a girl, I guess a young woman who's in her early 20s, who uh, she showed up at our church. And I actually knew her when she was in high school and saw her wandering and living a faithless life or wandering from faith. And I certainly knew her in college and knew that she kind of wandered in faithlessness in college. And I was surprised to see her at worship, but I was very excited to see her at worship. I spoke with her a little while later and I, I said something. It was great to see you in worship. Um, and in, in the, the most gracious way I could say, say it, I wanted to know why she was there. It was very interesting to me. And she said, I, I don't know, Todd. I don't know. I guess, I, guess it's just the, I guess it's just the only place I ever really feel peace. And I smiled and I said to her, oh, friend. Jesus is pursuing you. And she said, what? And I said, Jesus is pursuing you. I don't know if she believed me, but I think I'm right because I don't think she showed up here just on her own. I think Christ brought her here. And Christ was pursuing her. Jesus pursues. Secondly, Jesus hears. Jesus hears. He says to, to Thomas... Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Put it in my side. He addresses the very things Thomas said. Only Jesus wasn't bodily present when Thomas said those things. Right? Thomas didn't say those things to Jesus. Thomas just said those things to the other disciples. And even though Thomas wasn't speaking to Jesus, Jesus is hearing everything Thomas is saying. And friends, he hears everything you say, even in your despair, even in your anger, even in your confusion, even when you avoid worship, avoid the truth, avoid prayer. Jesus is in his pursuit of you. He hears you. He hears you when you don't even think anybody hears you. Psalm 56 makes that clear. When the psalmist writes that you, O Lord, keep account of my tossings. You keep record of my tears. Jesus hears you. 
Jesus pursues, Jesus hears, Jesus transforms. Notice, very end of verse 27, Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. He literally says to Thomas, the literal in the Greek is, stop your unbelieving and believe. (laughs) And then Thomas responds right away with my Lord and my God. He makes one of the greatest confessions that you will find in the New Testament made by a disciple of Christ to whom, to who Jesus is. Greatest confession of who Jesus is. My Lord and my God. And notice this, friends. There's no evidence that Thomas ever touched Jesus' wounds at all. Certainly, the faith that comes to us is not just this blind faith. It's not, just a, it's not without evidence. That the, the reality is that the resurrection of Christ and the death of Christ, those things are, are acts of human history. They took place. They're historical facts. There's historical evidence surrounding them. That's a reality. But make no mistake... The transformation that Christ comes to bring is a transformation from the inside out. He regenerates our hearts. And that's what's taking place here with Thomas. He's transformed by the living, risen Christ. From the inside out. Sure, he talks about the evidence. But before Thomas can even check on the evidence, he has been transformed. That's what Christ does to us from the inside out, transforming us. My moments of unbelief, even in that laser and smoke machine worship service, the Lord was doing something inside when there was no, nothing got fixed other than Jesus was fixing my heart. Jesus pursues, Jesus hears, Jesus transforms And Jesus blesses. Certainly this is a great blessing to Thomas to have his heart transformed for Jesus to pursue him, to hear him, to answer him. But then Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are all believers in all times of history, all around the world, in Memphis, Tennessee, April of 2023, blessed are those who have never seen the wounds and yet believed. Blessed because of our salvation, blessed because we are dearly loved sons and daughters of a living God. You know, I find myself as I get older looking less and less at the sensational stories of faith. And I find myself looking more and more at the simple, untold stories of faith. And a lot of those I'm seeing here and seen here in this congregation, in this church. People who, following Jesus, are going through great dark days of debilitating cancer or other debilitating illnesses. People in this church following Jesus as they face terminal illness 
or as ones they love face terminal illness. People in this church, as they follow Jesus, facing great tragedy. People facing daily struggles that just every day they wake up and it's still there. And I watch them. And there's this, there's this peace. There's even a joy. <laughs> there's belief. There's belief. And it's because they're looking to Jesus. In the midst of their pain, in the midst of their tragedy, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their disappointment, in the midst of their unbelief, they, they take it to Jesus and they look and they fix their eyes on him. And they say with the hymnist, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's my hope. And like that great moment in the Gospels, that Gentile crying out, I do believe, help my unbelief. They believe in the risen Christ. And they believe the words of the risen Christ. Oh, may the Holy Spirit seal these words to our hearts from his word. That in our moments of unbelief, we would run to Jesus, our risen Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. And now, Holy Spirit, please seal the words of your testimony in John chapter 20 to our hearts. Lord, may we, may we always be led to fellowship and worship with God's people. May we always, even in the midst of our despair and confusion, doubt, unbelief, be led to the truth of your word, be led to honest and real prayers, conversation with you. Oh, Father, may we be led to the risen Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.